classrooms as educators we've got to check who we are because that is exactly what children are going to experience so if you have internal biases if you have prejudices if you have ex- low expectations all those things that you are will come out and it may not come out in what you say it may not come out directly but it will seep out through your behaviors it will seep out through your actions and so we've got to put a mirror up and really address who we are when we become teachers we don't we don't take a test on you know our biases mm-hmm. we don't we don't get a chance to really assess those things before walking into a classroom with people that you may be internally afraid of or you may be internally um not like that group of people based on your experiences and how you were raised and so we have to be careful and we have to be honest with ourselves about who we are because not even just in the classroom even leadership mm-hmm. who you are is how you lead so again if you are truly not someone that serves and that and, and that believes in service you won't serve in leadership does that make sense You're listening to Creators Conversations that features dope creatives, innovators, and leaders from around the world, giving their perspective on life, pivots, and everything in between. I'm your host, Lacey McKinney, so let's get into it. If you're ready to take ownership of your development but don't know where to start, I'm sharing the strategies that help me take ownership of my career and step into my purpose as a leader of impact. This episode is brought to you by the Impactful Leadership Mixtape. The mixtape is your permission slip to become a leader of impact and show the true value of your expertise. You can download the Leadership Impact audio and a 20-page guide at LaceyMcKinney.com slash Leadership Mixtape. Allow me to introduce you to my next guest, Dr. Quinice Miller. She is a teacher, motivational speaker, trainer, author, and educational leader. Dr. Miller is driven by a belief that all children deserve a world-class education regardless of cultural or economic background. Her proudest work has been that of a school principal where she believes her job is to support and serve the people who make the magic happen, the people who really make the difference, the teachers. On today's episode, we talk about Dr. Miller's degree in Spanish and how she is paving the way to change the landscape of the educational system. Very excited uh, with the guest that I have on today. This is a childhood friend that I am speaking with. And so I'm going to call her by her, her, her title. She is Dr. Miller now. And so I am very excited to have her on. We're going to get started, but welcome, Dr. Miller. Thank you so much for having me, Lacey. I'm super excited um, and honored to have this opportunity to to talk with you today. You are so welcome. So let's start at the beginning. Let's go into your college days and you choosing to major in Spanish. What was that thought process? Why Spanish? Um, Why did you major? What does that curriculum look like for us? Kind of talk us through your thoughts and, and what that looks like majoring in Spanish. 
That's so funny. So that was never my intention. My intention was to go in. My intention was to become a, a pharmacist. So I was a pharmacy major initially. And I remember taking all of these science classes and working my butt off and then and getting C's. And I hated every moment of it and I remember just really praying and saying like God like what am I gonna do and one of the things that I talk a lot about in in the work that I do is following your passion for in it lies your purpose and that's what I did you know I went and became a Spanish major not having any idea what I was gonna do with it but I loved every moment of it and so that's what I did. I followed my passion and then became a Spanish major. Okay. You know, I'm going to talk back to being in high school with you. And I do remember you excelling really well in Spanish. I'm going to be honest with you. I can't remember if we had a Spanish class together, but I just remember you excelling really well. So I think when I heard that you did major in Spanish, it was really <laughs> not a surprise to me because I remembered that. I, I really did. And so that that's, you know, that's something different. And I think, you know, now in this day and age, um, having that second language under your belt or what have you is something we need. And so I push people to say that you should learn other languages and get out there and just kind of spread your yourself around to get to know different things. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So going into after you've graduated um, with your major in Spanish, what led you to teaching? What what does that look like? What was your first day in the classroom look like? And, you know, I'm going to say, did you even seek a position back in Duggerville? Did you try to go back home after you uh, finished college? So what's funny is, is after I graduated, I was like, what am I going to do now? And I was like, well, maybe I could be a translator because I, I ended up living in Spain for a while where I was able to really, you know, become fluent, you know, to be able to speak, read, write, and um you know, be able to hear Spanish and be able to respond. And so at first I was like, what am I going to do? And so someone was like, well, you can teach until you figure it out. And that is when the alternative certification programs were just starting and really new. And so I was like, okay, I'll teach until I figure out what I really want to do with my life. Right. Because of course, teaching wasn't it. Right. Teaching was just the, I need a job after I graduate. And so I remember, you know, doing what I wanted to do. And I really wanted to be a Spanish teacher, but I didn't have the right amount of credits or something like that uh, for to be able to get certified to be a Spanish teacher. So I went in as an ESL teacher and I didn't even know what ESL stood for, <laughs> but <laughs> essentially it, it's a English for second language learners. And so it essentially was, you know, Spanish speaking kids that were learning English. Right. And so and so I became a ESL teacher and I remember my first day and I, I would describe it as I was absolutely terrified because I didn't know what I was doing. And regardless, you know, alternative certification in school really can't prepare you for that. Right. I was exhausted because I did not realize it was going to be so much work, uh, but also it was really fun. It was really fun. And so I really enjoyed it. I didn't seek, I, my first job was in DISD, was in Dallas. And I remember, you know, just going through the alternative certification program and they were linked to Dallas. So I didn't necessarily look in Duncanville or anywhere. It just kind of, you know, the, the program kind of just filtered me to the school. I was at Conn Elementary over there off of uh, Davis Street. And um, it was just, 
it, it was wonderful. And I, I, I didn't expect that 20 plus years later, I would still be in the work. Okay. Okay. So um, thinking about when we were back in school and in, in, you know, our years of growing up, think about your kids now being in school. Um, what did education look like or how different is it in the classroom today than it was, say, with us growing up? And how did you kind of adjust as an educator? So, Lacey, one thing, you know, you know about me and, and your your listeners are going to know is I'm always tell the truth. I'm always mm-hmm. be very transparent. Okay. And the reality is, is it's not a difference. Mm. And I don't think that there was a difference from even when we were in school 20 years prior or 40 years prior or almost 50 years prior. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I believe that the education system was built to uh, in the book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He talks about how the education system was built to create workers Mm. and and that, you know, the come in sit down in rows, do what people tell you to do, follow directions, et cetera, et cetera, you know, is this was, was intentional so that people would work, you know, specifically at that time it was in factories, but the same is true now. And so there is no difference. And one of the things that I hope to do in my journey in this work is to help those understand that we don't serve the same children. We don't serve the same children. This is a different generation. They come to school knowing more than Mm -hmm. the teachers half the time, Mm -hmm. right? Because they Mm -hmm. are born with these devices in their hands that have every single bit of information that they, they need. But what they don't have is the knowledge to understand what to do with the information, how to process the information, how to think, how to reason, how to problem solve, how to work with a group of people to be able to come up with a solution. Like those are the things that schools should be teaching um, versus this whole, we've got the knowledge to give to you. It's not that anymore. So there wasn't a difference. And still today, in many schools, specifically urban schools that teach black, brown, poor, disenfranchised language learners, um, there is no difference. So I, I would, you know, ask the question, why? Mm, interesting. But, you know, I look at my son who is 10 and I, you know, I look at him and I say, you are a different character. I'll put it that way. And just the way, like you said, they, they, they come here knowing certain things. I think he is so in tuned to what's going on around him and in the world that he is far beyond where I was at his age back in, you know, 1980 something or what have you. I I can see that. And so I can understand when you say that you have to teach them differently. I totally see that based on what I receive from my son day in and day out. Yeah, absolutely. I I can understand that. So going forward, you wanted to shift more into a leadership role in the, um, in your career field. And so you chose to go into uh, becoming a principal. Why did you choose to seek that um, position rather than stay in where your first love was in the classroom? So that's a, that's a good question. So really, so I went into administration with the thought of being able to make a bigger impact, right? Because that's mm-hmm. what leadership does. What leadership does is gives you the opportunity to clone and recreate what effective teaching looks like, right? Through 
through teachers and through uh, because me and my one classroom, you know, has one impact. But me working with 20 teachers that have 20 classrooms now multiplies the, the reach and the impact. And so that's initially why I went into into leadership. And so it was a huge adjustment for me. I'm not going to lie to you because the biggest piece in when you are a teacher is that you love the kids. Like the kids are your heir. The kids are your reason. You build relationships with kids. You, um, you know, like that's your why. And moving into leadership was a huge adjustment because while I wanted to make that impact, what that meant is now the adults had to become what the kids were for me before, if mm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I had to understand that, like, if you don't feed the teachers and they're going to eat the kids. And I saw so much when I moved out of the classroom and how teachers did, how teachers operated. And you think that everybody's doing the same thing, but that is not true. Um, everyone does not teach, educate, and build relationships with children like they should. Um, and so that was a huge adjustment for me. But, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, leading is still teaching, right? So that teaching aspect never goes away. It never went away. It's still here today uh, because you are teach your audience just changes. Mm, okay. Okay. I, I get that. And so you wanted to even go into and, and lean into your audience even more, which we're saying the audience are your teachers at this point. And so there's a book. You wrote a book. So yeah, Dr. Milton, yes, she's an author. <laughs> and so I want to ask the question, what can readers expect from The Art of Giving a Shit, a memoir and a guidebook for urban educators? Tell us what can we expect? Why did you write this story? Girl, that title is something, ain't it? Ain't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, so initially I wrote the book and the, the title was going to be more than my content. And I would tell people what the title was, but no one could really connect to it. And mm -hmm. I remember talking to one of my friends, Shonda. You remember Shonda? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. um, I remember talking to her and, uh, you know, we were like three peas in a pod. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember talking to her and her just kind of giving, sharing a story with me about her son and his teachers and, you know, how hard they were being on him academically and her sharing that, you know, there was some, there were some challenges and things that he was going through as just a human, as just an adolescent boy that it didn't seem like the teacher was taking into consideration. And I remember, you know, just through our talk saying her, her or me, somebody saying, you've got to, you, you know, the teachers have to give a shit and they've got to care in a deeper way. And I was like, that's it right there. Like the art of giving a shit, like how do you care for children in the classroom the way that they need? And so the, the, point and purpose of the book was to just share my story, share how I did that with the scholars that I served. And so I wanted to share the story. So it was just going to be a memoir. And then my editor was like, well, this is a good story, but okay, so you were a Spanish teacher and you, okay, so what, what does the reader take away? And so we end up transforming the book to be able to provide tools and strategies and resources for teachers but it's also a good book for anybody that has a child in this in a classroom mm -hmm. 
because parents even need to be empowered on what is it they should be expecting from their teachers, from the teachers that are serving their children, because we have them more than they do. Um, so that was really it. And so you're going to get a personal story. You're going to get strategies. You're going to get tools. You're going to get resources. But more importantly, you're going to get real talk. And I think that in education, not as many of us have the freedom to just tell the truth and be honest uh, about certain things that we experience in the classroom, as well as things that scholars need in the classroom. I could resonate um, with that story you shared uh, with Shonda because I want to say probably uh, the last two, maybe three years, my youngest son, I, I went through it with him in school. And it seemed as though, for one, he didn't care for the school or care for being in school, period. And then it seemed like when I would go and talk to the teachers, they weren't seeing him for what he needed. You know what I mean? And so mm -hmm. we struggled for the last two to three years going back and forth. I cried, I prayed, all of yeah. that. And it wasn't until I got into the current school he's in now. He's in a private school or what have you. And he loves school. I'm talking about this kid uh, on a snow day finding out other kids are in school. He turned to me and said, Mama, I want to get offline. I want to go into the school because other kids are there. You know what I mean? And it's, it's just like this total difference of a child that's keeping up with grades, keeping up with his projects and stuff. And so right. just with this book and everything, and even going into my next question to you is that you say um, in, in the book, you stress about the number one ingredients to reaching scholars in the classroom is allowing the scholars to know how much you care, right? So describe, describe what that looks like. What does that look like from the eyes of the scholars in particular? So I'll say this. We teachers and educators have to remember that you're serving humans and for so long and in so many places, I think that educators sometimes forget that before they're before they're scholars, before the academics, you have human beings, you have lives in your hands. And so you've got to acknowledge that and respect that. And I know that when we were raised, how we were raised is that. It doesn't matter whatever adult, you just respect them and no matter what. And I get that. And I still teach my children that today. But the reality also is, is this generation doesn't operate that way. And there's a there's a reciprocal respect that needs to happen. So what I think that looks like in the eyes of scholars is one love you. They have to know that you love them and that you care. And you've got to tell them you've got to say it. Um, understanding that they're human and they have human needs. They have human needs. Like they're hungry, just like all humans. And sometimes teachers want them to come in and get to work. But if they are hungry, they're not going to be able to do the things that they need to do. They're not going to be able to be as effective. So acknowledge their hunger, get them a cracker, get them something, right? Let's address the basic needs that they have as humans before we then try to take them to the next level academically. Uh, mm. consideration of them and and things that that concern them teaching them life lessons because while we are preparing them to be successful academically we really also need to prepare them to be able to be successful in life which is what my book really really talks about and then helping them understand how to navigate relationships and to show them what a healthy relationship looks like within the classroom teachers should be vulnerable uh, sharing of themselves so that so that the scholars know and children know that they can then share 
And then finally, I would say being honest and real. Children can, they can, they know 100%, like dogs sense fear. Children can sense <laughs> when you're real, when you're not, when you love them and when you don't. Um, and so you got to be honest with them because when you think about your own children and I think about my children, I'm going to always tell them the truth. I'm going to always be transparent with them because they need to know those things as they begin to navigate life themselves. Mm, interesting. Hey, girl, I can go on and on and on. About yes, what it I get looks it. Like, but you got to yes. get the book. You got to get the book. <laughs> I, you know what? I have it. I've downloaded already. I've been listening, which goes to our next point that I thought was really interesting um, in the book. You say teachers teach who they are. What what do you mean by that? Tell tell us uh, wh why you put that concept in there because I think to me it connects back when we talked about uh, being able to reach uh, scholars and and show how much you care. Teachers teach who they are. Explain that concept to us. Ooh, girl, we don't have that much time. <laughs> okay, the re again, you can't fake it, and so okay. one of the things specifically when we're talking about urban scholars scholars that uh, come from culturally diverse uh, backgrounds, economically, linguistically, and mm -hmm. really, and you know what, those children is, are the children that I'm really focusing in on, but this is true for all children. Let me just say mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And this book is not just for those group of kids. It's for all children. But let me say this, who we are will always, will always show. And that's not just in the classroom. That's everywhere. Sometimes mm -hmm. we will teach and talk about what we know. We will often sometimes teach and talk about what we think, but we are forever teaching and talking about who we are. Mm. And so those things, you know, the saying, when someone shows you who they are, you got to believe them. Oh, it yes. It doesn't matter what you say. And I think in classrooms, as educators, we've got to check who we are because that is exactly what children are going to experience. So if you have internal biases, if you have prejudices, if you have ex low expectations, all those things that you are will come out. And it may not come out in what you say, it may not come out directly, but it will seep out through your behaviors. It will seep out through your actions. And so we've got to put a mirror up and really address who we are. When we become teachers, we don't we don't take a test on, you know, our biases. Mm -hmm. We don't we don't get a chance to really assess those things before walking into a classroom with people that you may be internally afraid of or you may be internally um, not like that group of people based on your experiences and how you were raised. And so we have to be careful and we have to be honest with ourselves about who we are, because not even just in the classroom, even leadership, mm -hmm. who you are is how you lead. So again, if you are truly not someone that serves and that, and, and that believes in service, you won't serve in leadership. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. Yes, it, it does. It makes a lot of sense. And I'm going to tell listeners, get the book. Uh, because even <laughs> as I was listening through it or what have you, I have I've been in the classroom in higher education, but just being in the classroom with with young minds, I think people need to read this. If you have children, you need to read this book because it does give you those practical tips. It gives you the story. It gives the life lessons. All of that is in this book. So I would say get it, get it, get it. That's all I, I can say. It's and an I excellent would like book. 
I would love to say this, Lacey. I just want to say thank you to you and your professionalism. This is probably one of my first interviews where you've mm. already actually went into the book. Um, and so I just want to honor you in that space and say thank you so much. Uh, because I think that this interview, it just becomes, it was much more meaningful for me uh, because of that. So I want to say thank you. You are more than welcome. You are more than welcome. So as we close out this interview, I want to ask you a question, and I think it's funny, and I think I relate this back. My mother was an educator, and so we would go to her school, and kids would think that we wouldn't have fun only because my mother was a teacher, and so they, they experienced her in a certain way, right? Right. So they, they would always ask us, do you guys get to go out and have fun? Do you get to go to, <laughs> to parties, to the movies? All of that was funny. So I want to ask you that same question. How do you balance being an educator and a parent? How do you turn it on and off? in the home versus being in your uh, school? Girl, well, <laughs> right now, uh, I'm a hashtag single boss mom mm, and okay. I'm newly divorced, but yeah. I will say that I have a village okay. uh, of, of people and even my, you know, now ex-husband, we're still partners and mm -hmm. with these babies, uh, but it's difficult. I'm not going to lie to you, but again, it takes a village to raise a child and I have amazing children who understand what I do, who involve themselves, you know, they'll come to school with me. They'll, you know, they understand if I have something, they understand if I have something going on. And so they're just very, very understanding, but, but it's hard. It's, it's not easy. And so I have to have a calendar and just trying to manage both because I put everything that I am into both places, right? So I don't have just two children. I have <laughs> hundreds and, mm -hmm. you know, and so, but that would, that would be the way just, and prayer and yeah. And I drink and I pray. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, Dr. Miller, my dear friend, Quincy, let's tell people how can they purchase the book and how can they connect with you? So you can always find me at www.quinice.com. The book is in every space that you can think of. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Audible. Um, it's on ebook. Any any app that you have, you can search the book, uh, and it should come up. And of course, I would love people to reach out to me. Definitely, I would love to continue to speak and continue this conversation. And at www.quinice.com, there's a space where you can reach out to me. But you can also find me at quinice at gmail.com. And um, you can email me there. But I'm just super, super excited. I, um, I, I think that I hope that as I continue my journey in education, that I'm able to continue to lead without fear and really preach the gospel of loving children in an authentic way. Uh, because this is God's work, Lacey. It really mm -hmm. is. It is. And he gives us his most precious gift, which is children. And, uh, and he is love. And so that is what he wants us to do is to love children, love each other. And, and the rest will take care of itself, Lacey. The rest will take care of itself. Yes, it will. So I am super excited um, that you decided to come on and interview with me. I really appreciate you. I am proud of you, my dear friend. And so thank, thank you so you. much for being on Creators Conversations. Thank you. And I appreciate